Hello and welcome to this week's Do You Know Her? Uh, it's a podcast about women in history that you should know. And this week we're exploring women from the colonial times, seen as Thanksgiving's coming up in America. I'm Javeria, one of your hosts. I'm Jania, your other host. And yeah, let's get right to it. Okay, so my woman in history that I'm talking about this week was called Mary Dyer. She's known as one of the Boston Martyrs, is a name given to a group of Quakers who were executed for their religious beliefs in the Massachusetts Bay Colony in the mid-1600s. Mary Dyer could almost be called a catalyst because in the time after her execution, King Charles II, back in England, he ended up forbidding the Massachusetts Bay Colony from executing Quakers. And the Massachusetts Bay Colony itself, it was um, a colony in kind of modern-day Massachusetts. It was held by a small group of Puritan leaders. And I think it was the first colony in New England to legalise slavery. There's a lot going on there. Shocking. Uh, yep. <laughs> and they were intolerant to other Christian groups, such as Quakers, Baptists, Anglicans. And the Quakers themselves, they are a Christian movement, and they describe themselves as the Society of Friends. And what their kind of belief system is, they believe in the concept of inner light. So you have direct experience of God, and they're heavily associated with um conscientiousness, morality, um, social justice. In 1611, Mary Dyer was born, and we don't know a lot about her early life. There's not a lot of records about her pre-marriage. Um, there was a rumour that was going around that she was the daughter of William Seymour, who was a royalist, and he was a descendant of Mary Tudor, so that's Henry VIII's sister. Ooh, and, we already got some hot scandal going on over there. Yeah, and allegedly her mother was Arabella Stewart. She was a descendant of Margaret Tudor, who was Henry VIII's other sister, but um, this myth has kind of been debunked over the years. So the only other record of that we've got of her in life, um, there's like a record of a brother that she had. So that's kind of about it before she gets married in 1633 to William Dyer. And they got married in the parish of St Martin in the Fields, which is in current day London. And so around at that time, the Puritans were kind of big on separating the Anglican Church from the Catholic Church. So obviously Henry VIII kicked it all off when he decided to separate from the Catholic Church and start the Church of England. But the Puritans kind of wanted to turn it up a notch. They didn't believe in, like, you know, doing the sign of the cross or all the kind of fancy of stuff that people... Of course not. That would take the fun out of it. Yeah, that, that was basically what they were known for, taking the fun out of everything. They didn't want kind of the whole big shebang that Catholics were known for. They wanted to go even more simple than kind of what the Church of England were doing at that time. Mm-hmm. So in 1635, she and her husband, they make the journey to New England over in the colonies. And she must have been pregnant about that time because about a week after they'd arrived, I think it was, that their son was baptised. So heavily pregnant, sailing across the ocean, I couldn't do it. Mm-mm. I wouldn't even, I like, I'd love to know how that conversation went. Like, hey, babe, we're going to go across the ocean. Um, the trip is going to take like a couple months. And I know you're pregnant, but it'll be fine. Like, no, I would have been like, we're going to wait right the fuck here until this baby is five and then we can go. I'm not about to be on a hot ship pregnant. I don't think so. No, not at all. Like, not on um, William. That's what his husband was called. Where they were settled, there was something that's called the antimonium controversy that kind of piped up. And there's a difference between two preachers called John Wilson and John Cotton. And William and Mary Dyer... They sided with Anne Hutchinson, who supported um, John Cotton, and she held like gatherings at her house. 
keep that name in mind for later on in the episode, you guys. <laughs> so Anne Hutchinson ended up getting on trial for what they called slander in about November 1637, and her supporters were called to court as well to like kind of answer for their kind of crime of being associated with her, included William Dyer, who was my girl's husband. Mary, so at March 1638, at the end of the controversies, after Anne's trial, um, what she did was, she it was kind of this big show of public support that she did for Anne, so she walked out the conclusion of the trial with Anne hand in hand, after Anne was like kind of excommunicated from the church at that time. So it's kind of, you know, took balls to do that, like, considering how strict the Puritans were and everything. And basically, kind of, as people end up doing, there's kind of a bit of gossip going on. So someone was literally like, yo, who's this woman that's kind of just walking out hand in hand with Anne Hutchinson? And someone else was like, well, that was the woman who had the monstrous birth. <gasps> the governor at the time, Governor Winthrop, he began an investigation. Oh, that sounds so an re- Yeah, so if we rewind a bit to about October 1637, Mary had a stillbirth, and obviously with the medical knowledge at that time, well, she had Anne there with her as her midwife, Anne Hutchinson, and she had someone else called Jane Hawkins as her midwife. And kind of with how the baby was born and the circumstances where they were being persecuted for their beliefs, it was kind of, they decided amongst themselves that let's just not talk about it, let's just bury the baby secretly. So then this Governor Winthrop, what he ends up doing is exhuming the baby and he describes it as a most hideous creature, woman, fish, bird and a beast all woven together. So, you know, he kind of gave it quite a vivid description but with what we know now, we know that the baby had a neural tube defect. So Mm -hmm. the baby was born with anencephaly. So it was a lack of, um, the baby was basically missing parts of their brain and skull and scalp. So that's what was going on, but... Obviously, at that time, it was like, you know, this is a Witchcraft. sign. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, the big Puritan thing was there are signs in your life that show if God is happy with you or not. So everything's like a sign of approval or disapproval. And the Puritans loved making things public. So, like, if you acted in a way that the church didn't like, you'd have, like, an examination by the church. You'd have to make, like, a public confession. And you'd have to go through this whole, like, big public redemption, rede- repenting process. Mm-hmm. So to... Governor Winthrop, he thought it was pretty pretty clear cut. He was like, yeah, clearly you're a bad person because you had this beast that's not even a baby. Mm-hmm. And William Dyer, so it was Mary's husband, ended up being questioned for heretic, opinion, heretic opinions after a week after Anne Hutchinson was excommunicated. So what happened again, like another sign that they kind of used against Mary was that she had a miscarriage later that year. So Winthrop was like... Yeah, pretty much. And what he started doing then, he wrote an account of the monster birth. He sent that to England. So that goes all the way back home. And this kind of story kind of grew in legend and people wrote books about it. And like there's one book where someone called it a survey of the spiritual antichrist. The spiritual antichrist. Boy, I got to say, those people, they really know how to like kick some shit up. Like they really know how to draw on the paranoia and just have you shook because I mean imagine getting that and then getting that late because you know by the time it gets to England it's already been like four or five months since it happened and yeah they're all getting shook up about it very late everyone in America's like moved on yeah but like even 20 years later there's still people talking about the whole thing and I think the last historical mention of this incident with the monstrous birth in quotes was 1702 Mm-hmm. So that, 
you know, it's just one of those things. And it's like kicking a woman when she's down, basically. And yeah, it's just not on at all. Wow. So, yeah. So William and Mary kind of try and move on with their lives. They join Anne and her husband. They move to um, what is now Rhode Island. And they ended up for founding a town there called Newport. Mm-hmm. Um, 1652, they, the couple, Mary and William, end up going back to England for a bit. And they joined the Quakers because they felt like, well, Mary joined the Quakers because she felt like their beliefs kind of aligned more with hers. The, mm-hmm. That she became like a preacher in her own right because for the Quakers at the time, that was acceptable. Obviously, there's like still a debate ranging today in the Anglican church about having, you know, like women leading and everything like that. But at As that time, Quakers were is. straight on it. very often is yeah so William he's back he goes back to Rhode Island and Mary ends up leaving a couple of years later as well and what she kind of um so basically at the time Massachusetts was still heavy on persecuting Quakers because obviously you can't have anything different why would you do that for so they she protests this new law that kind of banning Quakers from being who they are she ends up being arrested and expelled from Boston. And William's not arrested because he's not a Quaker, but he's like bound and sworn and he has to like not um he has to like kind of promise on Mary's behalf that she's not gonna do it again, that she's not gonna come back to Boston, she's not gonna like speak to anyone on their way out of the colony. And um with kind of the Quaker persecution at the time, things like that they just kept escalating. So it started off as like, you know, banishing people, but then they worked their way up to like, you know, lashing in public, mutilation, imprisonment, death. Um, there were a few women at that time who were known for being punished pretty brutally. So it wasn't like they were distinguishing between the punishment they gave out to men and women. And um, one of the women that was heavily punished was Catherine Marbury Scott and she was a sister of Anne Hutchinson. So the magistrates, they go and end up passing tougher and tougher laws. And in 1658, it kind of escalates to capital punishment. Quakers are banned on pain of death. So you get banished, but if you come back, you're dead. And that was Mary's sentence. Yikes. Um, Yeah, so she meets two Quakers called William Robinson and Marmaduke Stevenson. They're arrested in 1658 and again in 1659. And Mary went to Boston, where she's not supposed to be at this point, to support them. And her husband had already, like, you know, signed this kind of oath saying that she wasn't coming back. But she came back. And so what happens there, there's another governor there called Governor Endicott. And he passes a death sentence on Mary's friends, you know, William Robinson and Marmaduke Stevenson. And Mary ends up getting a death sentence passed on her as well. So at the trial, it's kind of like a move, not move, but something that she said. So they pass the death sentence on her. She goes, well, the will of the Lord be done. And then when they're leading her away, she goes, and joyfully I go. So she's kind of like accepting she was fully prepared to die at that point. They set a date, so it was late, it's October 1659, and it was south of Boston Neck. They get everything ready, she sees her two friends executed, they get ready to execute her, but like kind of in the last minute, kind of a dramatic that they pulled, they said, okay, well your son wrote a petition and we're going to let you go, you're not going to die today. Oh, snap. The look. So it's like a... Yeah, but it was like a massive stunt that they kind of pulled and she wasn't that happy with the idea. Like, she was fully prepared at that point to die and she was, like, kind of refusing to accept that she'd kind of been given this um, ticket out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a letter that they've got from her where one of the quotes is, My life is not accepted, neither availeth me in comparison with the lives and liberty of the truth and servants of the living God, which in the bowels of love and meekness I sought you. 
and it goes on to say, and then there's another quote that comes, it goes, I'd rather choose to die than to live as from you as guilty of their innocent blood, which means you're killing innocents and I'd rather die than have your, what you call, mercy going on. Because it wasn't really mercy at all. It was a big stunt that they pulled just to kind of, you know, reiterate who's got the power here. Wow. Yeah. And like it kind of just, so that kind of helped to whip up feeling against the authorities about what they were doing to the to the Quakers. And the authorities were just kind of like, oh, for God's sake, literally for God's sake. So they wrote kind of like <laughs> a vindication and kind of like trying to justify why they're going after the Puritans like this. And they sent it to England. And then there was like a Quaker historian, I think I said Puritans back in there. It's like a Quaker historian kind of refuted it. So then she goes back to Long Island. So she kind of settles there in a place called Shelter Island that they've kind of named after like, it's kind of like a shelter and reprieve for them. She ends up going back to Boston because she's basically like, you're either going to change the law about persecuting Quakers or you're going to hang a woman. So kind of throwing down the gauntlet, like, come at me. And she publicly declares herself as a Quaker in 1660 so she's kind of been like really she's already you know open about it but her husband he tries to write um he tries to write to the governor the governor's not having any of it and she chooses not to save her own life like her old pastor from when she was a puritan was like you know you can recant you can repent publicly and go through all of that and you'll be you know they'll spare your life but she chose to stick to her beliefs they ended up executing her after all so after kind of all but she kind of stuck to her beliefs and it had an impact on people because there was like an officer who was there when the hanging happened and he ended up becoming a Quaker and then his family ended up becoming one of like the leading Quaker families in the area. And I think the reason why I chose her was because like she was like, she made sure to take, I don't want to say full responsibility because there's nothing to blame her for. All she did that was supposedly wrong was stick to her beliefs. But she like made sure to make it clear to everyone that she was like an active participant in this. She chose this. She could have, like, chosen to recant. She could have chosen, like, you know, to repent publicly and anything like that, but she stuck to it and she was like, well, this is wrong. We're either going to do this wrongness or you can change the law. And they chose to do that to her. They chose to execute her. And she ended up kind of writing her own narrative in the end, so that's why I kind of really admire her and I've chosen her for this episode. Wow. She sounds like she was fun. Yeah, she was just, like, (sighs) going for it. Wow. Wow. Okay. I, I mean, imagine like that feeling though of like you almost died, but then you didn't, but then you do it anyway. And then like, she sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Like she, she kind of, she just, she, she really did persist. Like she stuck to who she was and what she believed in. Wow. Okay. So let's get into her best friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Like Javeria said, she was a friend to Anne Hutchinson, who is who I'm covering for this week. So Anne Hutchinson is like, if not the most famous, like colonial era woman, then she's one of the most famous ones. So she is a story. Okay, so let's get into her. So 1591, she's born in Lincolnshire, England. Uh, to Bridget Dryden and Francis Marbury, who is her dad, and he's a controversial deacon in the Church of England. Like he, um, he does not, he does not get along with anyone there. Actually, at the time that Anne is born, this man is on house arrest, so oh God, he's, okay. he's on like his second 
turn with the law at that point. And he's also a school teacher. So he's like, you know what? I don't know about the rest of y'all, but my kid is going to know how to count. Okay. She's going to know how to read. And he gives her an education, which, as you know, is really abnormal for the time because the world burns down if women get formal educations, I guess. So um, she ends up, after her dad dies, um, marrying her best friend from growing up, William Hutchinson. If you can't tell, William is like a super common name at this time. Mm -hmm. And they have, get ready, 11 kids. Jeez, 11 11 of them. Oh my god. Okay. Like- 11. And, and even better. So, uh, keep that number in mind. Oh god. <laughs> when they're in England, they start following the preacher John Cotton, which who that's who you just mentioned. And yeah. he is like a Puritan guy. He's the one who really kind of starts off the whole Puritan movement by saying like, you know, church should be less ceremonial. We should focus on simplicity. And even though England doesn't really like Puritans like at all and they start kicking them out, um, he was kind of able to hang out for 20 years because he was pretty cool. He wasn't like super annoying about being a Puritan. He was kind of a nice guy. (laughs) Um, He was kind of a nice guy, but then they got sick of his shit and he had to do it. So he goes to New England. And William Hutchinson and his wife, and they take their 11 children across the ocean with them to an unfamiliar land. Imagine being stuck in, like, I'm assuming, like, entire but like i can barely stay in the car for ages of my family and i've only got like three siblings imagine being stuck on like a boat going across the ocean with 10 siblings yes 10 like i mean 11 i can't even imagine how stressful that must have been like getting on a boat and already going to some place you've never been you don't know what it's like following some guy who you know talks really nice so you're gonna go follow him but you're bringing 11 children with you like that must have been insane so I'm Anne Hutchinson and her two starting five basketball teams, AKA her kids <laughs> head on over to new England and they go to Boston. So at this point, Boston is just a blip on the map. Like it's not, you know, anything. It's just this little settlement, but like the Boston of today, there is lots of racism because they kick the natives out. <laughs> they kick the natives out, but um, Boston is not yet the party town that it'll be in 1773 when everybody is throwing tea party ragers. So it's not quite, you know, this hubbub just yet. They're but while to it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're building up to it. But I just want to let it be known that racism in Boston has been there from the jump, okay? It has been there. So Anne becomes a midwife, and she, you know, like any midwife does, she talks to all the women, you know, that she meets. and But she also talks to them about how she's thinking about her own religious beliefs, which, you know, is not allowed in Puritanville. So mm-hmm. she amasses a little book club of women, And they talk about the Bible, but mostly they just also talk about like whatever sermon they heard that week so they can interpret it in their own way. So like they would go to church on Sunday and then sometime later in the week, they come to Anne's house and they kick it and be like, hey, what did you think about this sermon? And she's like, actually, I feel like it went like this. And so since there's nothing to do in Boston, these meetings were like the hottest event in the area. And men started coming to the book club meetings too, because they're like, where is my wife slash mom slash sister going 
at all hours. I want to come too. I want to see what's going on. And they like it. So pretty much her meetings are lit like a Christmas tree. At these meetings, after a while, she starts criticizing the local ministers because they preach something called a covenant of works instead of a covenant of grace. So I'm going to just break this down real quick. A covenant of work is basically like following what God told Adam to do before him and Eve disobeyed. So essentially like the first orders that God gave Adam, which was be obedient and you're going to be good. That's, that's what the Puritans follow, right? In order to be saved, you have to be the perfect obedient human. And Anna's like, "Mm, no, that doesn't make any sense. We should be doing covenant of grace, which is, um, this is the deal that God makes with everyone after Adam. So the deal he makes with David, with Abraham, with literally anyone he makes a deal with after Adam, this is it. Which is that if you believe in Jesus, and Jesus comes after some of the people I just mentioned, but like if you believe in the person who's going to come and like, you know, die for your sins, and you're also obedient to God, then you're saved. So basically, like an extension of the covenant of works, except it makes Jesus's death mean something like mean what it was supposed to mean. So um, Anne is then accused by the local dude bros of contempt and sedition. And um, she actually defends herself pretty well. And it looks like she's going to get off. But then on the second day, she, you know, tells them how the whole town is going to be cursed and fuck all y'all. And that's pretty much it. (laughs) Actually, we're going to convict you of contempt and sedition. And like they love to do, they force her into exile from the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1638. So the thing that you talked about, which was um, the antinomian crisis. Yeah. That's that kind of mostly revolves around her and then her husband's brother-in-law John Wheelwright. So, um it ends with her being banished. She gets banished from Massachusetts. Yeah. And um you know, so this guy hears that she's been banished and he says, "Hey, why don't you come over here to this cool land that's right next to Massachusetts Bay Colony?" And the cool land turns out to be what eventually becomes Rhode Island. And the cool guy who told her she could come there is Roger Williams. And so this is Roger Williams, right? He was someone who advocated for religious freedom. He advocated for separation of church and state, which at this time is unheard of. But we know that he's important because this is what America allegedly puts in their constitution, that they're separated by church and state. That's a story for another day, allegedly. And um, he also advocated for fair dealings with American Indians and was one of the first abolitionists. So at this time, um, there's like some slavery going on in the colonies. It's not yet what it's going to be in the 1800s, but it's enough that it's an issue for him. Uh, Anne Hutchinson and the Boston Celtics, I mean, her kids, (laughs) end up moving to Rhode Island. (laughs) and they hang out there but she feels like because Rhode Island is actually like next to Massachusetts she thinks that the Massachusetts Bay Colony is going to like absorb Rhode Island and that Rhode Island will eventually become part of Massachusetts too and she's very paranoid she doesn't like the Massachusetts people because they're assholes so she moves to New York right at this time um this is like New York it belongs to the Dutch right So Mm -hmm. it's called New Amsterdam. It's not yet New York. It's called New Amsterdam. 
and that's where she moves to. And she ends up living in what eventually um, will become the Bronx. <laughs> so she's a hard okay, ass. Cool. She's hard as <laughs> hell. Like she she's, was, she's hard. She's hard to the Bronx before. Like yeah, herself. yeah. She she. If anybody claims the Bronx, like just know she was the OG of the Bronx, and she so. Did yeah, she did it first. And so she um, she hangs out and with her kids next to this landmark that's known as the Split Rock. And it's still there. It's basically just this giant boulder that's cracked in half and it's called the Split Rock. So at this time, um, when they're living in the Bronx, just hanging out doing Bronxy things, um, they have some tension with um, a local Native American tribe known as the Sawanoi. I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but it's S-I-W-A-N-O-Y. And so Anne was actually like, she was kind of cool with the local Native Americans for the most part. Um, But some shit goes down. Okay, so she moved to this area. And what happened was like the colonists in this area had been provoking the Native Americans by like taking land from them and just being overall asshole white people. And so like... She was cool with the um, the Native Americans back in Rhode Island, known as the Nar- Narragansetts. Narragansetts. So she probably thought, like, okay, I was cool with them. I'll probably be fine with the Sawanoas. No big deal. You know, we've been pretty cool with them. Um, and so what ends up happening is actually like really terrible. Mm-hmm. So in um, a massacre that is thought to have been provoked by the white settlers. Um, the Sawanois pull up over to uh, Anne Hutchinson's area. And th- at the time, the settlement is in uh, Pelham Bay, and they burn down every house. And so um, they get to this one house that has two basketball teams oh, and no. a middle-aged woman. And so they're like, um, okay, what's going on here? So what happens is um, they also have a family dog, the Hutchinsons do. And so the Stoanois tie up the dog, allegedly. This is all coming. This is coming from a guy named LaPlante, who like is writing about the incident later. Um, But what happens is uh, he says as quickly as possible, the Sawanoi seized and scalped Francis Hutchinson, William Collins, several servants, the two Anne's mother and daughter, and the younger children, William, Catherine, Mary, and Zuriel. As the story was later recounted in Boston, one of the Hutchinson's daughters, quote, seeking to escape, was caught. And as she was getting over the hedge, they dragged her back by the hair and then cut off her head with a hatchet. Now, here's the thing. That probably happened but i'm always a little sus about white people writing about like native american raids on like settlement places because i feel like sometimes they might embellish them to make them sound worse than they were but either way we know that her entire family was killed here so that's kind of in the realm of possibility so they take uh the bodies all into the house along with like their cows and farm animals and they burn the whole house to the ground now apparently there is a legend um, there's a legend that one of her daughters actually ended up surviving the attack. And, um, so this is Susan. Her daughter's name is Susan. So word on the street is that at the time of this attack, Susan was out picking some berries. This is the thing I don't get because like, once these people come into the town, like 
wouldn't you have heard and felt like the discord in the air and would have been like, you know what? I think the berries can wait. I'm going to go by my mom and see what's going on. But allegedly she was hiding behind the split rock that we mentioned earlier because the rock is actually split in half. And it's like a small enough space like that a person could wedge themselves into. So apparently that's where she was when all this was happening. She was hiding there. And apparently she was taken captive by the Sawanoi and adopted by the chief Wampage or Wampage, W-A-M-P-A-G-E. And he renamed himself Anne Hoek in Anne's honor. So here's the... Beaten away. (laughs) Before we get to that, um, that's what history.com said, okay? What Wikipedia says about this uh, is the following. Um... So whenever this massacre happens, John Winthrop, who's been superior asshole from the jump, he's been tracking Anne like wherever she's gone. And when he hears about this, he's so happy. He's so excited about it. He's like, you know what? God did us a favor. And um, this guy, honestly, he he eliminated this instrument of the devil. Yeah, he's terrible. He's a terrible guy. He really just like he says Um, he says that his prayers were answered and that an instrument of the devil had been dealt with justly and um, justly. And even after she dies, he's still like up her ass and he writes an entire essay and he calls her an American Jezebel. So, you know. That's a bit harsh, surely. Like, you know, come on. Yeah, it is harsh. It is. And he just sucks. And so I feel like maybe he's just upset that he didn't get the invite to the meetings whenever she was still living in Massachusetts, but he's terrible. So even though the exact date of like this massacre isn't known, we do have like a time frame. And the time frame is most likely August of 1643. But um, John Winthrop doesn't write about it in his journal until September. And if you take that into account, you can assume that there's probably a couple days or a couple weeks before he ever found out about it. So that's why they're able to put um, the date at August 1643. So the guy, Wampage or Wampage, the Native American listeners, please like roast my ass. Like, let me know how to pronounce this because <laughs> I need to know. Um, he claims that he was the one who slain Anne Hutchinson. And there is a legend that he took her name after the massacre, calling himself Anne Hoek to be honored because he wanted to use the name not to necessarily honor her, but the name of his most famous victim. And um, 11 years after that, he shows a deed that shows that um, the Hutchinson's property was transferred to Thomas Pell. And the name on the document was given Anne Hoek alias Wampage. So he kind of like produced some proof that like he ended up getting the property. So um, as far as I can tell, it looks like he used the alias of Thomas Pell to like take the land. But kind of sneaking in there a bit really, isn't he? Right, right. But like I said, I don't know if I believe this because, um, you know, taking the taking the name of your most well-known victim. I don't know. And like some people think that the reason that they allowed the daughter who hid in the rock, they took her captive quote unquote and like um, adopted her basically. And, you know, the rumor is that she lived with this particular native American group for um, some years and then that she left. 
And she eventually went to Boston and married a settler. That's what the word on the street is. But they say that she was spared because she had red hair and that the Native Americans had never seen red hair and they thought it was cool. So they were like, let's take her back. That sounds like something that's kind of made to big themselves up. like Right, right. And that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because to be honest, a lot of this, um, I think from what I've been able to find, I feel like a lot of it is sensationalized. Like we do know that her and her family were killed in this attack, but I don't know if I believe that the chief was like, I'm going to name myself after her because she's my most famous victim. Because then that would imply that he knew that she lived there. And I mean, we just don't know, you know what I mean? Like, we don't know because she claimed to have been pretty friendly with them. So I'm assuming that she must have known them well and that they must have known her and her family. And if she was cool with them, I don't know why the chief would then be like, actually kill her unless he wasn't there. And the other people who went there didn't know and killed her. And then he found out afterward and was like, Oh no, we thought she was cool. You know, I just don't know. But either way, she does die in this attack. She is axed to death she is like either hit in the head within with a hatchet her and her family are scalped and that's that's that but she claimed uh at her trial that got her exiled from the massachusetts bay colony she claimed that she was a prophetess and that she was getting all her revelations from the meeting she was getting all that from god Mm -hmm. she said in her trial this is the thing that caused them to like be like you know what we're convicting you She said that God would send a judgment upon the Massachusetts Bay Colony and wipe it out from existence. Unfortunately, Boston is still in existence, so I don't know how right she was about that. I mean, and I guess guess the thing about the Puritans is, despite this whole thing that they had about, you know, being as simple as possible, like really the bare bones, they loved a bit of drama. They loved a bit of sensationalizing. And, like, we we had an entire... We had like an entire like civil war over here at some point during all of that where the Puritans were like involved. Yeah, she she really is something. And yeah, it's like you said, like the Puritans are drama queens because we know um, you know, Anne Hutchinson gets kicked out in 1638, she dies in 1643, but we do know that about 50 or 60 years later we get the Salem witch trials. So the Puritans are acting a up. bunch of yeah, they're acting up. They're feeling themselves. They're like, you know what, girl, we got a whole continent to ourselves. Like, we're about to, we're about to go off the charts. We're about to, you know, do some genocide, some slavery. Like, let's do it. Yeah. And it's just so, it's it's so interesting. So she's one of these women that her impact is pretty big, um, because she really stepped outside of like what it was assumed Puritan women were supposed to do, which at the time it was like Puritan women were supposed to defer to their husbands for everything. They weren't ever supposed to really step out of like the domestic sphere, even as far as religion, like they were supposed to interpret whatever they got from church through their husbands or through their local, you know, pastor or whatever. So she really stepped outside of this. And it's so interesting because she wasn't even necessarily like, saying anything unheard of or un you know like that hadn't been taught yet right this is all like she's like okay hey guys jesus exists for a reason so i don't know why we're still going off of adam when jesus comes back and you know like it's that whole big thing and so um and she kind of gets um more uh notoriety because of what we find in john winthrop's journey uh, and in his journal like what he writes about her he really has a problem with her like, and he 
men back then they did love writing their journals and like I, I, I bet it's like the equivalent of like you know guys now with like an entire twitter account dedicated to like nitpicking everything a woman says like exactly modern day John exactly. Winthrop's guys and like I've just looked up a few facts about John Winthrop so he so what he was on about was in 1641 he went against like he was completely against accepting native Native Americans and Africans into the church. He helped write the Massachusetts Body of Liberties, which was the first legal sanctioning of slavery in North America. That's Boston for y'all. Just so y'all know, they were, they were, listen, I love stuff like this because I really want it to be known that like when slavery happens in America, the British were like a large reason of why it's going down. But on top of that, Slavery was popping in the 13 colonies before we had like more than the 13 colonies. And a lot of these Northern states that like we come to associate as being, you know, like this haven of the North where freedom is, all these places had slavery. And Massachusetts is like the Supremo. Like they, they were, they were into it from the beginning. I mean, it's literally called New England as well. Like obviously they're going to import all the behaviors and the kind of attitudes that England would have had. Yeah, definitely. And so um, so some of the stuff that John Winthrop says in his journal um, about her, he describes her as a woman of ready wit and bold spirit, which is not terrible. Um, he meant it as like a backhanded thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, he also called um, her a hell-spawned agent of destructive anarchy. So, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I wouldn't mind being called that. Right. And so... She really kind of sets like the precedent of why we need a separation of church and state because the local government got involved in what was essentially a religious issue. They didn't really have anything to do with like, it shouldn't have had anything to do with what she was doing. But at the time, like religion and government, even in England, were still really closely linked. So the idea of having like a government that operated independent of a religious body was like, that's a new thing. That's not something that like anyone is really considering in large numbers. She is really upheld as like a symbol of religious freedom. Like, you know, I chose to believe what I want and I left and I live somewhere else. Um, Liberal thinking and um, a Christian feminist essentially is what people come to view her as. Again, she can also be demonized and, people tend to look at her life uh, as a way of also looking at like the way that men and women existed within the church in the colonies at this time, what the status of women was in the colonies and all that stuff. So she, she's really a, she's something. There's a statue of her in Boston and the statue is actually her and her daughter, Susan. So I'm pretty sure the other you know the rest of the two basketball yeah. teams were not feeling it they were like um excuse me why are we not on this statue too like yeah. we all got <laughs> and so the thing on her statue um it says the following in memory of Anne marbury hutchinson baptized at alfred lincolnshire england july 20th 1595 killed by the indians at east chester new york 1643 courageous exponent of civil liberty and religious toleration not wild about killed by the indians yeah, like, because it's really, like, really really can feel that hot racism coming fresh off the presses with that one and so another thing that they have on the back of this or on this um plaque is it says um 
This and the neighboring Wollaston Hills were part of the original grant of 600 acres made by the town of Boston to William Hutchinson in 1637. His house stood near this spot, and to it came his wife Anne Hutchinson on the 17th of April, 1638. When exiled from Massachusetts by the General Court of the Colony, and here she tarried for a brief space while on her way to Rhode Island. So they basically threw a statue up to be like, and maybe stopped here for a bathroom break whenever she was on her way out. And that was pretty much it. So we have a lot of stuff named after her in that area, as most things are in in New England. Lots of stuff are named after colonists. There's a residence hall at the University of Rhode Island that's named in her honor. Um, In the Episcopal Church, she and Roger Williams actually have a feast day on the calendar in the Episcopal Church on February 5th. So, yeah, so they're pretty, um, they're pretty, pretty important. And the last thing is that in 1987, Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis pardoned Anne Hutchinson by revoking the order of banishment instituted by Governor Winthrop 350 years earlier. So I just think it's funny how, like, (laughs) it took that long. No time like the present, I guess, or like the 80s. like. Yeah, I'm just interested because it's like a the Revolutionary War happened, and like, why not just do it after that? Because, well, she's I mean, a woman, so they, whatever. They still, but like, they were still on some bullshit after that, and a long time after that, and probably yeah. right now as well. Yeah. So one of the last things I want to say is that um, I found a section on the Wikipedia page that talks about um, people that uh, are descended from her and also her ancestry. So this is what's known about the ancestry of Anne Hutchinson. Um, as far as her family's side, her father's side of the family. So apparently her father is descended from Charlemagne and Alfred the Great. On her mother's side, she's descended from Edward I of England, which connects her with Edward's great-grandparents, Henry II of England and Eleanor of Aquitaine. So she's got some hot stuff going on on her family tree. And um, these are some of her descendants. So some of the descendants of her basketball teams <laughs> include uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, who is president of the United States, okay. and two other uh, people who will be president of the United States, uh, George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush. Oh. Um, a couple presidential candidates like Stephen A. Douglas, George Romney, and Mitt Romney. Her grandson was a governor of Rhode Island. Um, other descendants include a chief justice in the U.S. Supreme Court, Melville Fuller, um, and Associate Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., Lord Chancellor of England John Singleton Copley Jr., who was the first Lord Lyndhurst, the president of Harvard University Charles William Eliot, and one descendant bearing the Hutchinson name was her ill-fated great-great-grandson Thomas Hutchinson, who was a loyalist governor of the province of Massachusetts Bay at the time of the Boston Tea Party. Ah, uh, yeah, so lots lots of stuff going on on her family tree. She is a she's a character, and she's a Puritan. So that's Anne Hutchinson. Yeah. So we asked you guys to submit um, anything that you know about women from your hometown. We put that out on Twitter, and if you want to, you can just reply to us however you want. Um, so we had one this week from Andriana. Uh, she's from Patterson, Louisiana, and the local elementary school in her area was named after a black woman named Hattie Watts, who was born in 1882 to parents freed after the Civil War. They moved to Louisiana after receiving a land grant. 
and her father was a pastor of Good Hope Baptist Church, which is still the primary black church in the area. Her father educated her and she ended up becoming a teacher at the first school for black people in what was then called Pattersonville. And they didn't get any like kind of funding from the parish and they didn't they were unaccredited at the time as well. So in 1912, the school was moved to its current site and it was renamed the Patterson Coloured School. And at that point, she was working for $30 a month and she was promoted to assistant principal, started getting $45 a month. In 1916, her husband died in a logging accident. So she was the only one taking care of her children at that point and she had to do that on her teacher's salary. She remained as a teacher and her personal mission, her personal mission was to educate the masses and she was one of the first people in the region to offer adult education classes to teach the adult black population how to read. And she fought hard over the years to gain access to the library that were like impossible to get for the local black children. And through all of this, while this was all going on, she had no electricity and no car. So she was kind of walking to school every day in any kind of condition you can imagine. 1935, wow. she fell ill and stopped teaching and she died in 1937. And when the parish school board constructed a new school, they renamed the school in her honour, and it's now called Hattie A. Watts Elementary, and it serves pre-K all the way up to fourth grade. And there's a mural on the wall next to the library, and it's a picture that I'm going to tweet out later because it's quite a lovely one. And it shows her teaching black children how to read. Aww, what an awesome person. Yeah, it is a really cool mural. I will definitely tweet that one out when we put this out. Yeah, the dedication must be very strong because... Like, I don't know if I would love my students enough to, like, walk in the rain and, the you know, the all the elements and go teach them. But that just shows, like, her determination and to just, like, I want to make sure these kids know what they yeah. have to know. And I don't care how much I'm getting paid or not getting paid. Friendly reminder, teachers deserve yeah, please, to be paid more. Please pay more teachers more. Do. Like, stop cutting their budgets and just give them what they need to teach. Right, because they do shit like this, and then they also buy supplies for the classroom, like, out of their pocket. And they put up with your kids for eight hours a day. So, like, they they deserve more. But, okay, so that's this week's episode, just in time for Thanksgiving. You can listen to it while you're trying to be distracted from the family members you don't like talking to. <laughs> or on your uh, flights or drives or whatever. And so what are we doing for our next episode? Our next episode, I think, is the She's a Queen, right? Our next episode is called She's a Badass. And it's just going to be about women who just do awesome stuff. We get straight to the point. Yeah, I think I was think I was getting ahead of myself because I was excited for Mary Queen of Scots. But that's coming. That's in the pipeline. Yeah. But the next <laughs> the next week we're doing um we're doing she's a badass so who are we doing for uh, that who are, who, so who we have ida b wells and i'm gonna be doing about yes. Jahan. yes i'm so excited for ida b wells i literally just had to do um a presentation on her for my black feminist theory mm-hmm. class and this woman is legend status like just amazing so i can't wait to get into her and i can't wait to hear about your person also yeah i mean it's a funny one because there's also like a Pakistani singer called Noor Jahan, but I'm not doing about Noor Jahan the singer, I'm doing about Noor Jahan the Empress Badass. Not that Noor Jahan the singer isn't a badass, Love but it. you know. So that is our episode. Make sure you guys email us or DM us on Twitter. Um, send a smoke signal, as Javeri said. <laughs> um, we want to hear, like, we want to hear your guys' stories about women in your hometown. These could be like, anyone you know who's done some stuff in your hometown that you think like is worth other people knowing about 
um, we want to know about it. Also, guys, if you're listening to our podcast, please, if you're on iTunes, leave some reviews, okay? We really want to know what yeah. you guys think, how you like the show, what you think we could be doing better, all of that. Yep, so that's kind of um, happy Thanksgiving from us as well. Yes, yes, happy Thanksgiving and grill your family about what they know about Thanksgiving. All my white peeps out there, <laughs> challenge your racist family members. The streets need it. Yep, okay.